Chapter Twenty Two of the Western United States. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Western United States: A Geographical Reader by Harold Wellman Fairbanks. Chapter Twenty Two: The Pony Express. Although it is only a little more than fifty years since the discovery of gold was made, and the rapid settlement of the West began, what a change has come over this great region! It was at first supposed to be impossible to connect the growing settlements upon the Pacific with the East by anything more than a wagon-road, and those who advocated the building of a railroad were ridiculed. Now the journey across the continent is made upon smooth steel tracks in comfortable coaches, for the skill of the engineer has overcome the difficulties of the desert, the mountain-wall, and the canyon. The pioneers who pushed westward from the Mississippi River, with their slow ox-teams, took all summer to reach the fertile valleys of California and Oregon, and considered themselves fortunate if they arrived at their destination before the coming of the winter storms. The first overland stage line was established by way of New Mexico and Arizona, terminating at Los Angeles. Twenty-two days were required for this part of the tiresome and dangerous trip. The route was longer and more desert-like than that farther north across Nevada, but the winter storms were avoided. The stagecoach proved too slow for the needs of the growing settlements upon the Pacific Slope. A telegraph line was planned but it could not be completed for some time, and even then it was probable that the Indians would destroy the poles and wires. Then came the idea of a relay of fast messengers upon horseback, and the Pony Express was organized. It is difficult to believe that by this means the journey of two thousand miles between St. Joseph, a point upon the Missouri a little above Kansas City and Sacramento, California, was once made in about eight days. This is only a little more than twice the time required by the fast trains at present. For two years the trip was regularly made in about nine days, averaging two hundred and twenty miles a day. It can be readily understood that this wonderful feat required many relays of men and horses scattered along the route. The express rider had no well-graded roads to follow but only the rough trail of the emigrants. This led across broad deserts and over rugged mountains, and throughout most of the journey exposed the rider to attacks of Indians. Let us take a map and trace the route of the express. It followed closely the main overland trail, which the gold-seekers had opened. Now towns and cities are scattered along the old trail, and the railroad crosses and recrosses it. But let us try to picture the country as it appeared in its wild state. Mountains, valleys, and plains made up the landscape. Vast herds of buffalo darkened the great plains east of the Rocky Mountains, while farther west were numerous bands of antelope. The streams were filled with beaver and other fur-bearing animals. Here and there, along the rivers, were Indian villages, with their curiously shaped teepees. Even the deserts of Nevada were not uninhabited, for the Indians lived there also, gathered in little family groups about the desolate springs. When we speak of the overland trail, 
we do not mean a narrow path for animals, but the wagon-road, rude though it was, which the early immigrants had made. They were determined to cross the continent, no matter what the difficulties and dangers. Wagons could be drawn by the oxen over the plains and deserts with little difficulty, although there were some dangerous rivers to be crossed. Mountains and canyons offered the most serious obstructions. In many places, the wagons had to be let down over precipices with ropes, or be taken apart and carried piece by piece across the obstructions. It was not the mountains alone which made the trip across the plains, one long to be remembered. It was often difficult to obtain water and fodder for the animals, and at many points savage Indians, bent upon plunder, were in hiding, waiting for a chance to stampede the cattle or kill the immigrants. The way was marked by abandoned wagons, household goods, bones of cattle, and the graves of human beings. The trail led from the Missouri across the state of Kansas to the Platte River, then followed this long stream to its head in South Pass on the Continental Divide. From the South Pass, the trail led southwest past Fort Bridger, in southwestern Wyoming, through Echo Canyon and over Immigrant Pass of the Wasatch Range, down to Salt Lake City, which had been founded but a short time before the discovery of gold. West of Salt Lake City, the trail skirted the northern shore of the Great Salt Lake, and after passing a low mountain divide in what is now northwestern Utah, reached the headwaters of the Humboldt River. Thence, the path ran along by this river down to the place where it disappeared in a vast, sandy desert known as the Sink of the Carson. The Carson River, after the dreary desert was passed, led the immigrants still westward toward a wall of mighty mountains known as the Sierra Nevada. Here nature seemed to have done her utmost to shut off California, with its fertile valleys and rich gold fields, from the longing eyes of the immigrants. There are, however, several low places in the range, and through one of these openings, at the head of the Carson River, the travelers gained the western slope of the mountains. Then in good time they reached the mining town of Placerville, and at length Sacramento, the capital of California. In order that the Pony Express might make the time required over the two thousand miles, five hundred horses and several hundred men were needed. The stations were placed about ten miles apart, and were strongly built so that they might withstand the attacks of the Indians. These stations, nearly two hundred in number, all had to be supplied by means of freight teams, which often hauled hay, grain, and food for the messengers for hundreds of miles. The horses selected for the messengers to ride were the small, sure-footed ponies called Mustangs, through a stretch of ten miles, the pony was pushed to its utmost speed. Then it was carefully groomed, fed, and rested until the time came to make the return trip. In selecting the riders, three things were of great importance. They must be light in weight, must be possessed of great powers of endurance, and also must be brave and resolute. At each station, as the time approached for the express to arrive, the relay horse was saddled and in waiting. As the rider dashed in, he jumped from his horse, and with but a moment's rest, threw the saddle-bags containing the letters upon the fresh horse and was off again, 
riding like the wind. Upon smooth stretches the horses often made twenty miles in an hour, but it was quite impossible to maintain this speed over the rocky and rugged portions of the route. Storms and Indian ambuscades often delayed the riders. Sometimes the messenger kept up a running fight with the Indians for miles. The riders were frequently killed, but the mail-bags were rarely lost. If a rider did not come in on time, it was known that something serious had happened, and search was immediately made. The riders were not allowed to stop for any purpose whatsoever. Neither storms of the greatest severity, nor even the presence of hostile Indians near the trail, kept them from their duty. One of the few riders, who are still living, says that he was never afraid except on dark, cloudy nights. At such times he made no attempt to guide his horse, but trusting to the intelligence of the well-trained animal, gave it rein, and at the same time spurred it to its utmost speed. Think of riding at such speed into the dark night, not knowing what is ahead of you. The rider's only safety lay in the carefulness and sagacity of the horse. Such a ride called for more courage than did a conflict with the Indians. The Pony Express carried no passengers. It carried no freight, not even the usual express package. The messenger was entrusted with nothing but two bundles of letters carefully stowed away in a pair of saddle-bags. The letters were not like our ordinary letters, for the paper used was the thinnest and lightest possible. Hundreds of letters weighed only a few pounds. It was very important that there should be no great weight, for if the horses were heavily loaded, they could not make the required time. Only those whose business was of great importance could afford to send letters by this express, for the charge was five dollars upon each letter. In spite of the high charge, the Pony Express is said never to have been profitable, for the expenses were very heavy. It was discontinued in 1860, as by that time a telegraph line had been constructed across the continent. End of chapter 22